Hello and welcome to this podcast jointly hosted by the international development consultancy IMC Worldwide and the NGO Goal. My name is Sanjay Chowdhury and I'm a senior communications and knowledge management consultant here at IMC. I'm joined today by two of my colleagues, Andre Steele, principal engineering consultant and WASH expert, and by Zahid Youssef, the technical director for governance and peace sensitivity. And we're joined today over Skype by Mr. Niall Boot, who is the global WASH advisor for the NGO Goal. And the reason we're here today is because Goal has been running a water sanitation and hygiene program in northern Syria, focusing on improving water supply by working with existing water utilities to return water distribution to pre-conflict operational standards. IMC has supported the program with technical assistance for the development of a cost recovery system. And the aim of IMC's assistance is to increase the resilience of water supplies by reducing reliance on external funding sources. And we're going to be covering this program uh, through this series of podcasts. And this podcast is the first of that series. So Niall, can you start by telling us about the issue of water and sanitation programming in fragile and conflict affected states, and specifically about the program in Syria? Um, so Goal works in 17 countries worldwide. Um, many of those countries would be classified as fragile and conflict-affected states, so uh, locations such as uh, South Sudan um, uh, and and Syria. Um, so I, I suppose that we, you know, we, we face many cha- many challenges when working in these countries, um, from security risk to uh, you know poor levels of, of governance um, to weak private sectors, which which prevent us from taking the the more long term development approach that we we do often take to water sanitation and hygiene programming. Um, We've been working in Syria, uh, northern Syria, for about um, three years now, um, and our WASH programming has been uh, running for about 18 months. Um, we are we are working with uh, four different water units now, four different units uh, of water utilities that manage the networks, um, and we focus heavily on rehabilitation of water infrastructure um, during uh, that that has been damaged during the conflict. Um, we're now reaching close to half a million people with clean water supply um, and and we've, we've engaged with IMC Worldwide on, on the consultancy to try and uh, improve on the cost recovery aspects of running those water networks with so many users and, and quite high operation and maintenance costs to run these water networks in terms of fuel and staff salaries, chlorine uh, and various other overheads. Um, it's not realistic for the the international donors uh, who, who fund these projects to continue to provide the, the this funding for operation on a on a on an indefinite basis. So we've engaged with IMC worldwide on on, on how we might be able to increase cost recovery to, to give a more sustainable approach to to this uh, this project and, and enable these water units to continue to, to run their water systems when the, the international funding uh, starts to starts to decrease. Thanks, Niall. And um, just kind of 
bringing IMC's experience into that situation, uh, Andre, can you can you summarize for us the the cost recovery strategy work within within that program? Yeah, sure. So. Um IMC were contracted in March 2015 as a preliminary exercise to look at the option of, of cost recovery. We say cost recovery, but in, in reality it's more about enhancing the resilience of service providers within northern Syria. Goal are obviously in this position where they've taken over some of the responsibility from um, the traditional governance systems that existed prior to the conflict, and they're now in a position where they're strategically managing some of these water, water service providers. This is an unsustainable position, as I was describing. So it's about building the resilience, not just necessarily on the financial side, but also on the technical and the, the human resource side. We approached it um, as, a, a, as an exercise in really trying to first understand the situation, understanding the context, and then looking at what the options are for improving that resilience within the service providers. So the, the environment, as you'd expect, is, is highly complex. There's um, a huge range of, uh, of issues that, that need to be addressed on a daily basis, both by the service providers and also the NGOs working there. And I mean, some of these are, are, are what you expect. So obviously, there's high risks of uh, there's high security risks. There's issues with access, um, but there's other aspects such as you know we're also operating in a very weak economic climate. And if you're looking at enhancing uh, the financial resilience of these of these these organisations, well, what are the alternative funding sources to the international donors? The obvious ones are perhaps the consumers. Are they in a position that they can really afford to, to pay for water? Similarly, if you look at service providers in the UK, you're dealing with an organisation that has a very good control over where their water has been distributed. We've got household meters in many places, or at least we've got bulk meters on trunk mains. This, uh, although Syria was a middle income country and they're dealing with municipal supplies which are um, well established and they're piped and they're distributed uh, under, under gravity or pumped systems, they don't necessarily understand where their water is going, either because these, these pipe systems have been damaged or because they were developed in a period when there wasn't that level of control. So we were addressing, we, we were looking at um, a system that was to a certain extent advanced, but also very unknown. And there wasn't the access to get in there and actually inspect these things. So we took it from, uh, we took a three-prong approach. We, re we recognized that, okay, there's some capacity there to improve the network performance. So the actual, how the physical infrastructure distributes the water, how it's operated on a daily basis. There was scope there for improving that, therefore bringing the cost of operation down. In parallel to that, there was the option of looking at alternative funding sources. So this is improving the financial resilience by looking at either um, commercial consumers or domestic consumers, looking at where the, the larger water users are and how we can um, bring in a, a user pays approach. And thirdly, there's obviously with these changes, there's the capacity of the staff, there's the human resources, there's um, these aspects that, that would need to be improved. So over a period of, of two weeks, we did a lot of in-depth research through um, communication with the service providers, talking to Gold staff both inside Syria but also based over the border in Turkey, to develop a, a strategy that followed these three routes. 
we ended up with quite a complex system, but it mapped out how you get from the position where we are now with very much reliance on, on donor funding over a five-year period, which, if circumstances allow, would see the development of these service providers in each of these three areas to the point where hopefully they're capable of operating these systems with minimal oversight and a fair amount of internal or, or within Syria fundraising for, for financial operations. And Zahid, um, there are kind of particular issues related to governance and, and peace sensitivity while you're working in fragile and conflict-affected states. So can you tell us about how how those issues influence something like a, like a WASH program in Syria? I guess doing a WASH program in, in any context is going to have its challenges, its political challenges, its social challenges, and its economic challenges. And particularly where we are trying to develop a more sustainable cost recovery and revenue generating program, this can lead to different competing interests, different priorities, even different preferences. Some people may prefer health programs over a WASH program. So when we're dealing with uh, a WASH program in any context, we're going to have to deal with competing interests and we're going to have to deal with, but what we do have in many of these contexts is we have these institutions who can deal with these competing interests, either through dialogue or they can have within the institutions, they can have different checks and balances, which enable them to, to overcome these different competing interests. However, in somewhere like Syria, where a lot of these institutions have broken down and where their trust is broken down and those those uh, platforms for dialogue have broken down, a lot of the, what happens is a lot of these, um, these competing interests are often resolved through violence and through violent means. And particularly when we're, um, when we're looking at revenue-generating pro uh, programs like the WASH programs, where we're trying to generate revenues through cost recovery um, in order to recover costs. We also have this, uh, the uh, link between these revenues could become fuel potential forms of violence, potentially form uh, armed groups. And these could be of interest to armed groups. So these are of particular, this is a particular risk that we need to consider when working in conflict-affected areas or areas where there's high levels of violence. It's the association with revenues and the potential that that could fund armed groups. So one of the things that we're looking to do is first analyse this and ensure that we have a good analysis and uh, an understanding of the different impacts our programmes and our programme activities could have on the existing conflict context, how it could potentially exacerbate existing conflict dynamics or how it could uh, renew, um, create new conflict dynamics. So that's the first part, is to try and understand and analyse and ensure that we are minimising our, um, uh, our risk of exacerbating existing, these conflict tensions. The second thing is to try and then understand also whether we're getting common interests and common goals. There are a number of communities within, that are competing communities within Syria who have a common interest in having water delivered to them in a, in a safe in a safe manner. And so by through harnessing that common interest, through harnessing these common goals, we want to try and use, see how we can use this WASH program as a platform to promote dialogue that's already broken down, to promote trust that's currently um, broken at the moment in Syria. So just kind of bringing these different issues together, um, I wanted to talk about something that I, I thought having you here all, all here today would be a great opportunity to discuss the um, the 38th WEDEC International Conference, that's the Water Engineering and Development Center Conference that took place recently at uh, Lauborough University. 
under the theme Water Sanitation and Hygiene Services Beyond 2015, Improving Access and Sustainability. And, and I, I wanted to talk to you guys about this because you were, you were all there and I believe that you were jointly sort of hosting a, a side event. So Niall, do, do you mind just kind of um, giving us a bit of background to that? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, on the, from the experiences we had working with um, IMC Worldwide, we, we, we actually submitted a, a paper together uh, specifically around our work, to work in Syria. So we, we submitted that paper and presented that, but we also thought that collectively we had uh, experience more broadly of working in uh, fragile and conflict-affected states. So we proposed to uh, WEDEC that we, we, we host a side event at the conference. Uh, and um, it's, it's voluntary, I think we had 20 30 uh, participants there um, and, and we tried to to basically like gather some some thoughts on key lessons of working in these in these uh, environments and um, current gaps in knowledge uh, and potential research to uh, research to improve those knowledge gaps um, and to identify best practices already out there in the wash sector so so we we each sort of had our own area of um, um, our own topic that we led discussions on after a brief introduction on some uh, case studies from uh, Pakistan, South Sudan, and and Syria, um, and I led a group on uh, on the challenges of longer term impact in in Afcas uh, context. So, you know, discussion around how how many of these sustainability challenges that we face um, generally in doing wash work around the world are, are sort of exaggerated in environments. So, um, you know, we talked around uh, um, such things identifying the emergency, like, like how we how we actually identify um, when an emergency is one, because often we, we work in areas which suffer from cyclical and chronic emergencies, you know, whether maybe it's a, a flood or a drought and it happens every year at the same time of year and you know and then the discussion around is that is that actually an emergency and the populations require different things depending on the type of emergency and the type of um, context that they're in um, I think one thing that the group that I work with uh, particularly agreed on is that government engagement is key in these in these contexts, particularly when trying to set up uh, uh, emergency preparedness plans. Um, we also saw the, the shortcomings of both humanitarian agencies and humanitarian donors in this. That there's a that there's a, a generally a siloing between humanitarian work and, and development work and and it's that gap in between those silos and the linking of those silos which is a we see as a, a, a major potential bridge to improving this this work um, and that really hinges on improving communications and improving humanitarian response staff for retention um, there were some examples of, of positive work uh, WEDEC themselves had done a consultancy for tier fund in uh, in, uh, in, in, in the past that had looked into measuring some of the like, indicators of which type of context we're, we're operating in. Um, and, and there were other examples, like some positive, positive examples of donors such as AusAid who tackle this, this silo and humanitarian uh, very well. Um, 
but I think that the, 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 the general view was that it's still a challenge, it's still, uh, you know, getting any type of sustainability in these types of environments is, is, uh, is a huge challenge. And there's some good examples that, the, that as a sector we can continue to, to do more and, and, uh, um, and learn more and improve in, in this area of work. And so, Andre, uh, Niall had mentioned that, that each of you kind of took a particular topic. Um, do you want to just tell us a little bit about the topic that you were? Yeah, sure. I think it's worth noting that the the event was quite innovative because we we used an open open space approach. So actually, we kind of set up in different places in the room, and then people were able to move around between the different conversations to to have their input. So the, although we had twenty to thirty people in the room, we actually got a lot more. We generated a lot more discussion out of that than having just a simple division of groups. My area was to look at um, sort of the challenges of WASH planning and programming in the FCAS environment. Working in a humanitarian situation is a challenge no matter what. You're dealing with very immediate needs. You're dealing with people who have potentially lost everything. But when you're dealing in that environment with the added threat of violence, the added threat of conflict, it becomes even more serious. Uh, many NGOs have to consider their own personal safety when it comes to this, their own personal, um, their, their own the risks to their operation and their organization. And invariably, when you're looking in a conflict environment, you can't actually access the, the project sites. So you're, you're working remotely. So there are very key issues that come out of this, this environment, which you really need to think carefully about as an NGO going and operating. So it was good to try and garner some of the experience from the room and as, as Niall said, sort of develop some key lessons that could be taken forward, look at the gaps uh, uh, and, and how we address them. So some of the key lessons that the, the group came up with, um, you, you really need to, every, every emergency should be taken on, its, on a case-by-case -case basis, but that's even more so with, the F, with an FCAS environment because the consequences of not fully understanding a situation could be much, much more serious. You could find yourself operating somewhere which it's very dangerous to operate, or you could be exacerbating the issues, as um, Zahid talked about with uh, the, the peace building issues. And it's essential, therefore, that you, em you employ people who have an understanding of the situation. You know, okay, you may, may be difficult to vet some of the people that you're, talk you're, you're working with over the, over the border as such in, in the environment, but you really do need their, their contextual understanding. Some of, the, um, some of the potential bridges then that come out of that, um, it becomes much harder to cost these programs. So donors put money forward to support humanitarian operations and NGOs write proposals and cost them to, <coughs> to try and develop an understanding of, uh, for the donor of how much it's going to cost so they can allocate budgets. But when you're working with an FCAS environment, it becomes phenomenally difficult to do that because you haven't really got a handle on what the market is. If you look at Syria today, if you look if you look at Syria today, a lot of the costs, are, a lot of the market forces that are in play are, are black market, and understanding that and understanding who's in charge of those those markets becomes very difficult. And you have to sort of consider whether you're even willing to operate within that environment because it may not be possible to do that and still have donor compliance. Um, 
But there were sort of a few key lessons that, that could be taken forward from, from the discussion. One of them is obviously um, working with, with people you know, but then vetting who you work with. Uh, particular donors may have requirements for um, who you can associate with, especially in the Syrian conflict where armed groups have shifting allegiances. This can complicate your position with the donor and the donor's position with, um, with governments. That's, that's an important aspect that you really need to understand when you're working, and that's something that you should take forward. And in parallel with that, you should really try and take the time to understand the context. Unlike perhaps uh, an earthquake that would devastate an environment and you can understand very soon after the event what the condition on the ground is like purely by being there, within a conflict it's changing. And if you don't fully understand the context in which you're going into, you might struggle then to design, first to design a program that is actually relevant to the situation and that can be adapted to the changing environment, but also you might end up doing a lot more damage by trying to support one thing which you think is very important, but is actually due to political connotations or, or divisions in, in the conflict could result in you exacerbating the, uh, the impact on certain populations, or etc., etc. So on the whole, I thought it was a very, it was a very, very interesting discussion. I thought we got a lot out of it. Yes, I had. We're, I'm interested to get kind of what was your angle on the on on the event. Um, again, I had a very interesting discussion. Um, our uh, topic of discussion was how can wash programs provide a platform for promoting peace. And I think the first uh, issues certainly that we um, identified was that. Uh, particularly in fragile and conflict-affected areas, that WASH programs do affect these dynamics. And I think that realisation that they have this impact on uh, conflict dynamics was quite pertinent. And so firstly, the, we identified the fact that WASH programs can exacerbate these existing conflict uh, tensions. Even though they got nothing to do with the conflict, um, the conflict could be something completely different, but just having this development program can interfere with these already social and political dynamics that are constantly changing, like Andre was saying. And one of the things they, were, they talked a lot about when looking at like, the different knowledge gaps that they were identifying was really about understanding that complexity and do engineers, is part of their training, do they get that opportunity to really understand that complexity, those socioeconomic dynamics that their engineering programs will have on that, on that context. And I think that was one, a definite gap that they identified, that they, they needed to understand that, have that training also in that context and being able to understand that context. And also understand how water can also be an economic good. And what does that mean as an economic good? What is the impact of water as an economic good, particularly when it comes to livelihoods? And one of the other, other gaps was um, the language difference. Engineers often have a certain way of talking. Uh, certainly coming from my background, coming from a conflict and peace background, going to the, the WEDEC conference, they had a whole load of ways of expressing through a very engineering way, I say. Um, and so they've got to be able to talk across political languages, economic languages, across um, a human rights approach. So being able to talk across these different languages and understand what these different languages mean to their program was also another area where they identified they needed to improve or there was a gap in knowledge. And finally, 
some in terms of best practices. We uh, looked at best practices and one of the really interesting ones is one WASH program that integrated peace committees into their program. So if conflicts were emerging as a result of their program, they were training up people to be able to mediate and to be resolve these conflicts um, without obviously resorting to violence. So I thought that was very interesting discussions and I think uh, there's definitely ways we can move forward and different, different ideas that we can certainly integrate into our uh, Syria program. And Niall, just, just coming back to you, I, can you give us um, uh, kind of a summary of what are, what are the next steps with that program that's running in Syria? So the next step for the uh, Syria work is is sort of to continue on the 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 roadmap that IMC Worldwide has has, uh, has put out for us. As goal, we we work towards those objectives and targets to to gradually improve, you know, on the on the cost on on, on the cost recovery aspects and everything that goes with that. The the institutional strengthening uh, and the information management that goes goes with that and, and helps to make that a reality that we continue to work on those lines and and um, uh, and follow the, the the advice given and and that we continue to engage as well uh, on a periodic basis to sort of review and make sure that we're you know we're, we are doing what it is thought is, is likely to have the best um, the, the highest likelihood of, of resulting in cost recovery but we also need as an NGO and as an emergency response agency we need to remain flexible like things happen uh, you know been various events that happen that completely change the priority for our team in in, uh, in Syria and, and from the office in, in Turkey so I think we it, you know, we, we have to remain flexible, which is one of the, the lessons coming out of this, uh, these, these discussions as well, but that the, the we, we also try to continue to engage with IMC worldwide as, as sort of uh, experts in the field that can help us to, to, to make these ideas and objectives that we have and the, this vision that we have a reality. So I think they're the next, uh, the, 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 the next steps in a broad sense. And uh, Andre and Zahed, can I put that same question uh, uh, to you? Is it, you? You know, if you've kind of got a an angle that you'd like to come in on there. Uh, I think it's um, going to be interesting times coming ahead. The conflict is still um, developing. We've it changes on a regular basis, and I know that uh, Gold have suffered um, as part of it as well, which uh, comp uh, complicates their actual operations out there. But we're very close, I think, to um, agreeing a follow-on uh, period with with goal to try and really operationalise this this strategy. Um, IMC are really looking forward to getting involved in this. We have a number of people lined up to to support it, and I think there will be a lot of lessons that we can we can draw from here, and hopefully that can be exported to other operations. One of the issues, one of the um, attendees that I spoke to at the WEDEC conference was was dealing with very similar issues but based out of Lebanon and dealing with um, water service providers in the south of Syria with their own issues. So this project I think is uh, potentially leading the way in some areas of, of WASH programming in, in conflict environments and it's great that we, are, um, we can be a part of it. Yeah, I mean um, this project um, whilst is extremely challenging and comes with uh, huge levels of risks. Nonetheless, it's, it's an excellent opportunity. 
uh, first of all, for us to understand uh, how we can implement a WASH program um, in, in, a, in a, such a conflict-affected uh, conflict area in a complex environment, but also to identify the opportunities that um, a WASH program can provide and uh, understand how we can try to harness these different types of uh, common interests and goals within such a, a fractious uh, and complex context. And I think, uh, yes, whilst it comes with huge levels of risks, the opportunities are there definitely to improve our understanding and definitely to improve our practices. Just building on that one last comment there that, that Zahed had, it's worth noting that if we're successful in actually achieving a, a viable program here and we build the resilience of these water service providers, you know, water is a fundamental basis for um, economic development. It's a fundamental basis for stability. And if we're actually able to, working with Goal, to develop the resilience and the capacity of these service providers, we can provide a really good platform for early recovery. The conflict will event, end eventually. And if these systems are still operational there, at the end of that conflict, and they're maintained and managed by people who have a vested interest in staying there. You know that can be the, the the platform for industrial development, for agricultural development, for economic development, which will ultimately reduce the impact of this this conflict uh, moving forward. And I think this is very much worth uh, worth the effort that we're putting in. That's a quite an inspiring future-looking <laughs> final comment there. Um, well, this has been a, a really, really engaging discussion, framing the issue of uh, WASH programming in fragile and conflict-affected states, focusing on goals and IMC's partnership in Syria, and incorporating those two teams' experience at the recent WEDEC conference. And I want to take this opportunity to say thank you, Andre, thank you, Zahed, and thank you very much, Niall, for, for joining us today over Skype. We want to thank our audience also for listening in, and we hope that you can join us for the next installment of this podcast series. Thank you.